As a free, not-for-profit service, Cradio requires the support of people like you to help keep us going in our mission. To donate, visit cradio.org.au slash donate. Cradio. The Impact of Love in Growth and Personal Development, a talk by James Parker at the 2018 Immaculata Mission School in Hobart, Tasmania. Ooh. Look, I'm hoping we'll have an opportunity this afternoon for some, a few questions and answers, a few comments, a little bit of feedback, etc. What we've just sung, I am forgiven. There is nothing but nothing that God has not already forgiven. There's nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. There is no thing whatsoever. And look, I, I, I share the aspects of my story. Just a bit to say to you is, you know, this is a journey. I'm a work in progress. I sin like you sin. But I tell you something, I know my goal is. I know my goals, I know my home is. And actually what it demands is that, is that we do fall to our knees that we would touch heaven. Before I began talking this morning, the, uh, uh, one of the guys praying for me had the, the, sent the, the word, unless a wheat of grain falls to the ground and dies, it remains but a single grain with no life. I think some of you know the song and the, and the Bible verse. And it was lovely because then somebody else came up and said, oh, wow, I just got this sense of this verse. Unless, uh, unless there's something or other, I'm like, yeah, that's the verse. We've had it. <laughs> but, you know, that's been going around in my mind time and time again, ever since I, I got here, that what happens is the Lord is asking us, will you die to yourself? Will you die to your human will that my divine will can live within you? For goodness sake, we prayed it how many times today? In the Our Father, your kingdom come, your will, not mine, your divine will be done. Reflect for a moment on the material covering your body. I'm looking around, I don't think there's anybody here who in somewhere that is not wearing cotton, unless you've got polyester underwear and a dress on. Now that would not be comfortable in my opinion, but there we are, but I'm a man. Anyway, um, I really am a man. Uh, anyway, um, Cotton. Cotton was alive. It lived. And it had to die to fulfill its purpose, didn't it? Anybody have salad for lunch? Anybody have potatoes for lunch? Anybody have ham for lunch? It was all alive. And it all had to die. The vegans are going, yeah! <laughs> or maybe, ah! My point to you is this. There is a message deep within nature and the natural world that battles with our souls. And it's, will you die to yourself? Will you surrender? Will you abandon? Our biggest fear is, but if I do that, there'll be nothing left. Cotton doesn't fulfill its purpose until it's on your back. The food fulfills its purpose once it reaches your stomach. I mean, lettuce looks, looks lovely, and I, I don't even mind looking at it. But you know what? It's, not, it's pointless unless it's inside your body. And even in my body, I know. <laughs> because that's what happens is, literally, there is a calling upon our lives that we would die to ourselves, that we will be able to take up new life. 
And it's not our new life, it is our new life, but it's Christ alive within us that we should live as he created us to live. But we are in a battle. It's a very, very real battle. And that battle is outlined for us in Ephesians 6. Let's read this together. Interestingly, at the end of the letter of St. Paul to the church in Ephesus, the final point he makes, and let me tell you every word in scripture and every phrase is deliberately placed there for a reason. So we say, finally, the most important thing is this, is that you grow strong in the Lord with the strength of your power. No, it doesn't say your power. It says his power. Get it? You haven't got to be strong. What do most of us spend our lives doing? <gasps> Holding it together, trying to do it, trying to look okay, all the rest of it. We talked about the mask. Simon was talking about it. Madeline was talking about it yesterday. This isn't about you. This is about his power at work in you. Put on the full armor of God so as to be able to resist the devil's tactics. There are three ways I begin my morning when my eyes, well, when I've woken up, sometimes my eyes aren't even open. Well, the first things I do is say this. I say, good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. And good morning, Mary. It's my first four people I agree. Then normally what I try, I seek to do is I seek to pray the prayer of abandonment by Blessed Charles de Foucault. Father, I abandon myself into your hands to do with me whatever you will, whatever you may do. I thank you. I'm ready for all I accept all. Let only your will be done in my life and in all your creatures. I ask no more than this, O Lord. Into your hands I commend my soul. I offer it to you with all the love of my heart, for I love you, Lord. And so... Um, Got the last bit, placed myself into your hands, or worse, that effect. Surrender myself. That's it. Thank you very much. I do remember it every morning, I just don't remember it in front of lots of people like you because I'm not. <laughs> then the next thing I do is once my legs are swung out of bed, etc., is I put on the armor of God. That's the reason I'm saying this to you. And literally, I make a decision. I literally, I'm there, my bones are creaking at this point, my joints, etc. And I say, I'm putting on your shoes, Lord Redness, to do your work. I actually tie, invisibly I tie them I choose to put on the shoes of readiness to, do, to speak God's word. I put the belt of truth around my waist. I put the breastplate of righteousness upon me, the helmet of salvation upon my mind, that my mind would think only salvific thoughts. I take up the shield of faith and the sword, which is God's holy word. And then I ask Jesus to seal it upon it with his precious blood. And then I pray the prayer of St. Michael. Now, this might all take three or four minutes, but let me tell you, it's a great start to the day. You know? And that's even before I've got to the end of the bed. <laughs> Normally. Me, I'm serious. We've got to take this really, really seriously. I, I, I mean, we can do lots of different actions, but it's about the setting of your heart. And it's about the submission of your will to his will. Only when we do that can the Lord truly come in triumph. It's not against human enemies that we have to struggle. You know who you are. You were just saying to me that in this recent same-sex marriage debate, your parish was quite split. Many parishes have been. And people thinking somewhere they were against other people. As many of you know, I've spent much of the past year going around the country saying, look, let me tell you the reason why there's no such thing as same-sex marriage. It's, it's same-sex mirage. You know, it's actually injustice from my experience of having lived in a long-term homosexual, a long-term heterosexual relationship to say that two men or two women can be married. They can't. That doesn't mean to say that two people of the same sex can't have a deep affection for each other. And we might come back to the bit later. 
but that they can't be married. It's not against people that we're fighting. It is against principalities and powers. Does that mean the people who want to get married are evil? Not at all. Nobody's, nobody's evil. The fact that God has created us, he's created us good, but it's against principalities and the ruling forces who are masters of the darkness in the world, the spirits of evil in the heavens that we are challenged. And that's why John Paul says to us, and why the most common phrase after, and God said, in God's word, the most common phrase is, do not be afraid. Be not afraid. Fear not. Because he's inviting each one of us, as God was inviting me with some of the trauma and the other rubbish in my life, he said, bring it to my cross. I will restore and I will redeem you. I will make you into the glory that you were created to be. Let me tell you who I am today, good, bad, or ugly, or whatever it is. This is none of my doing. This is God's doing. But I have to be able to die to myself to be able to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, you're less. We sing it a lot sometimes, don't we? There's a reason. <laughs> That's why you must take up all of God's armor. There's no part of us that we can hide from God. Every part, every bit of our life needs to be exposed to his light. Every part of it. Or you'll not be able to put up any resistance on the evil day. Or you won't be able to stand your ground, even though you exert yourselves to the full. Let's be honest. Do any of us try, 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 try and feel like, I'm just not getting to God? Come on, be honest. <laughs> of course. I think God loves your effort. I mean that. I mean that very seriously. I think God loves your effort, but I think he's also saying to us, let go. Let go. Thank you to those of you who put your hands up on behalf of the others who didn't, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> Come on, let's get real. So stand your ground, guys. Stand your ground with truth as a belt around your waist, uprightness as a breastplate, wearing for shoes on your feet the eagerness to spread the gospel of peace, and always carrying the shield of faith so you can use it to quench the burning arrows of the evil one. Faith. Some of you heard me say this before. Faith is spelt R-I-S-K. Faith is spelt R-I-S-K. Risk. If there's no risk, it ain't faith. You know, Peter's there like, just let me test the water. Mm, shall I go, guys? I'm not, okay, okay. Mm, I'll go with this foot. Now I'm walking on water. It's only when he took both feet that he was really, really stepping into faith. And the challenge for all of us is this, is often Jesus is very happy to meet us where we are. In fact, it's the only place he can meet us. But then we say, right, now you're meeting me where you are. It's my conditions. And the Lord says, no, I meet you where you are, but I've got to be in the driving seat of your car. I'm the one that needs to lead you to where you need to go. And that shield of faith does two things. First of all, it allows him to be able to do what he wants to do, to be who he is within us. Because ultimately that's what it is about, who he is within us. But it is also there to make sure that whenever Satan starts throwing arrows at us like crazy, and all the words and all the lies he wants to throw at us, we've got something to be able to quench those lies with and say, sorry. You know, when Satan starts knocking on my head, you know, he, he says, once upon a time, James, you did this, didn't you? And I've learned to say to this, hey, guess what, Satan? Once upon a time, 
Jesus went to the cross. You can finish the rest of the story, Satan. Buzz off. In fact, we're told not to even converse with Satan. Just look at the Lord. Because let me tell you, where there is light, darkness has no choice but to flee. No choice. That's why, you know, it, it's so funny. It, I, I share my story. People say to me, oh, you're so brave to share your story. I'm like, well, it's, my, it's just my story. The fact I say it's just my story, I was reminded even this morning that there were years in my life, years, when I felt profound shame. I was locked away. I was locked away. And Satan is out to lock massive portions of us away. And Jesus is saying, let me come and unlock your heart. Allow it to rise up. Don't be frightened of what's there. Because basically, I've already restored it. It's so beautiful that if he showed it to you, you would run away. I do believe that in most cases, we'd run away if we knew just how beautiful you were. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm, I've got to say this, I, I'm kind of going off track a bit, but I'm, I'm constantly reminded here today, last few days, this thing of saints is just, it will not leave me. You know, um, I, I honestly believe there are people in this room that will be canonized. I believe that. Will not leave me. Do you want it? Do you, do you want it? I'm not asking, will you make yourself it? I'm asking, will you let Jesus make you that same? Will you? Because that's what he's asking of you. Just to give yourself to him. To let, to let him mold you. To let him make your joy complete. To let him give you that abundant life. Take salvation as your helmet. We're going to talk in a minute about which message is molding your mind. Sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. The Word is that sword of the Holy Spirit. In all your prayer and entreaty, keep praying in the Spirit on every possible occasion and never get tired of staying awake to pray for all of God's people. Now you might say, well, I could spend 24 hours a day, 24-7 just praying for all God's people. As long as we are literally presenting the world and all of God's people before him, the Lord is happy. I really believe that. Sexuality and identity. Why so much talk about this sexy stuff? Some of you are like, this isn't a big issue for me, but why do you keep bringing it up? I tell you why, because it is the place at the moment, I would say, of most, certainly most visible attack that Satan has on us. And when our understanding of who we are as male and female is in somewhere that disturbed then what happens is everything is out of kilter. It just isn't balanced. There are four loves. The Greeks had four words for love. C.S. Lewis wrote a wonderful book called The Four Loves. If you want to hear a pope talk about four loves, read Deus Caritas Est by Benedict XVI. He also breaks open these beautiful words. Really, really simply put, agape is that unconditional love of God. The abundant love Parental love, eternal mother, eternal father's love. Storge love, we could encapsulate that really as parental love in some or other, what we get from our earthly parents, what is formed at a certain stage in our life. Filial love is, is sibling or peer love. 
an eros, if you like, we could call that covenant love. Um, now, it isn't just that they sort of start at one point of life and finish. They, they're, they're building on each other. They're dancing with each other because that's what love does. And these developmental layers around our sex, around being male or female, they literally are, they're layers that are there. And they form our sexual identities. And if we're layered wrong, then what happens is we start to hide, we start to get confused, we start to feel shame. And we, we can sing any song of praise to God, but we keep our heart shut down. And therefore, we don't move towards the glory that we're made for. We can't step into that canonization process, <laughs> which we're all called to. And many of those layers are affect us through our words and our actions. That's why I'm talking practically in some way to you today about some of the words and the actions that you can do. So there are three areas. Some of you see me do this design before. I'm going to rush through this because much of my story is already there. The reason I shared some of my story with you today is to help you to see where things went wrong. But what should life look like? What would a good life look like? Well, you should be in the room for nine months. Those of us who are premature, we have these deep, intense conversations about what it was like to be premature. I mean, it's bizarre. You think, so you left the womb early. What's the big deal? But you know, we know it. We feel it. There's an effect on our lives. And we have this sort of bit of a network. It's a bit like being a twin. You, kind of, you can find out where the twin is in the room. You go, you go oh, I'm a twin. Well, I'm a twin too. We just, you just know it. That's it. It's what happens. You get it. It's like a sixth sense you have. Okay? But even in the womb, there's a place of love for us. That's the part of the reason, I believe, only part of the reason, because the word of God is infinite, why it speaks of John the Baptist leaping in the womb of Elizabeth when Mary visits. We know that even in the womb, the Holy Spirit can touch our lives. And if the Holy Spirit can touch our lives, then the spiritual realms themselves have access to our lives. Which means sometimes there's some challenging stuff around the womb. I'm just saying, if you know that your mum had a challenging pregnancy and you've never brought that before the Lord, that's something we bring before the Lord. We let his light shine upon it to see what he wants to do. It takes a man and a woman to create a child, to make love. So we have the phrase, make love. Two people of the same sex can't make love. They haven't got the faculties to do it. A human being is love, made in the image and likeness of God. So through the sexual act, that covenant act in the marital bed, there's the opportunity to make love. That's the only suitable place of the phrase. Sorry. <laughs> if you think otherwise, the world's taking it to mean something else completely different. Parents, it's important to have parents. There's a sense in which we should be wanted. Parents should be excited. We feel the world is going to be a good and safe place. There's a sense of waiting and rejoicing for us to arrive. I said to you I was conceived out of wedlock. The message I got, therefore, was I felt shame. Who I am is wrong. Should I be alive in here? Now, I wasn't thinking that when I'm like two weeks old in my mum's womb. Okay, let's get that really clear. I've not got that good a brain. The Lord began to show me later on as I waited upon the Lord. As I said, look, I want to die to how I see myself. How do you see me? And the Lord brought me back to realize that I had a sense of shame around my very beginning. And that in some way or other, that shame, that message, began to affect my life there in my mother's womb. My mother was failed by her husband. She was then failed by her lover, if you like. And then her father died while she was pregnant. If her father stayed alive, she could have kept the baby, which was really the babies. 
he died. And deep in her heart, my mother felt that men could not be trusted. At least one of them could have helped her, and none of them did. That left the womb being a place of anxiety and insecurity for me. The world didn't feel safe. Now, all the time in an ideal world, we should be exposed to God's unconditional love. All the time, agape. Somebody's praying for us. God is there. Whatever the, whatever the difficulty of the pregnancy might be, God is there. Okay? You're breathing. Anybody died? Oh, you're dead. Okay, don't worry. Um, just want to quickly go through this. This helps through development. Zero to four years is kind of an area where the storge love begins to affect our lives. And this is where our parents and parental figures are, again, very, very important. If dad's gone or dad's died or mum's died or something, it's really important that there's somebody's able to come in and be proxy in that place for us. And that the necessary sense of grieving happens at some point in our lives around that. It's important that we know that we're a precious child. This is a time of learning intuition. Everything we learn between zero and about four, the child developmentalists tell us that we, that we just think that's normal. So in other words, if all you ever eat is boiled rice between the ages of zero and four, you do presume every household just eats boiled rice. You just do. Mum gives us a sense of being. And dad says to us, the world is a safe place. But being's really, really important. And, I, and I, look, I'm, I'm speaking this to you because when I pray with people, one of the key things that is a big issue for many, many young people today is that ability just to be able to be, particularly in a world of smartphones and social media where it's buzz, 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 you know, <gasps> can't live if living is without Facebook. I can't live, you know. You get what I mean? Instagram no more. Anyway, um, James, get on with that. This is a time of learning about intimacy. If you find it really difficult to trust, and I've always found it difficult to trust, then it may be you need to be able to let the Holy Spirit have a bit of a search of this time in your life. I'm not asking you to go digging. I'm just saying, Holy Spirit, come and have a look at this part of my life. Is there anything you want to say to me? If you find love and the idea and the concept of love pretty frightening, then somewhere down the line, your ability to be intimate has also been hurt. Intimacy means intimid. Not to intimidate, but to be untimid, to be unafraid. If love is frightening for you, then somewhere down the line, somebody has, you, you, you have taken up fear in the place of love. That needs to be brought to the foot of the cross. Thank you, Father. This is a time of healthy touch, healthy gaze, healthy words. I loved doing rubber dub dub with my daughter. She'd get out of the bath, it's like rubber dub dub, yeah. You know, half an hour to, to dry a child. No, but just love the rub. Because the touch and the laughter and the giggles and the eyes catching each other. And you're lovely. You're beautiful, my little princess. All that stuff. All those words. Really, really important. This is a time when we practice, when we initiate. We begin to realize that the world actually is the most amazing place to live. That words, those words, Oedipus and Electra, are there for a very important reason. Let me tell you the way in which men differ from women. Ladies, you began in the body of mum, of course. And what are you? You're female. So you come from the body of which your body's the same. You don't need in some way or other 
to take a journey into womanhood. In fact, your journey is a challenging one that hits you around puberty. And your menstrual cycle screams it at you. And the change of your body shape, etc. It just screams it. That is, in some way, you're constantly learning your journey to womanhood. It's very, very different for a man. Um, we heard from Simon last night, and how correct it is, is that around seven or eight weeks of age, there's this blast of testosterone that differentiates men from women. Interesting, isn't it? So what's happening the seven weeks beforehand means actually we're totally female. Sorry to tell you that to you guys. <laughs> but actually we begin totally, totally female, which puts us in the prime place of realizing at conception we are ready to be the bride of Christ. Think of that. It's just that, guys, we, what happens is we express a part of the father and we express a part of the groom in a way that women don't. And we're to mirror that as well. However, from that perspective, we're all the bride of Christ. Anyway, what happens is this. A little boy is born of mum. And, of course, if you've ever watched a baby and it's been born, you put it on mum's tummy, it'll go crawl, 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 breast, oh, food at last. <laughs> Why not? It's had nine months, or it should have had nine months of just being fed to the umbilical cord. But that little boy then gets its sense of being. It's a mummy's arms, same as a little girl. It's not looking at the food source. That's what grown men do. Little baby men look at mum's face. <laughs> Sorry, just being a bit honest there. <laughs> food. Where there's food, there's men. Yeah. Anyway, agreed, guys? Yeah, okay. Um, shut up, James. Um, oh, some of you are still awake. That's even nicer. Um, anyway, so <laughs> looking at the food source. But the challenge becomes this, is we hit a point as men where we, we've got to come to a point where we go, gulp, I am not mum. And I'm not like mum. I have to individuate. I've got to separate from this. is all invisible. It's all subliminal. It's all subconscious stuff going on. But if it doesn't go on, we have a problem. And at that point, a little boy basically connects in with dad in somewhere that, or a father figure, and realizes, whoa, there's something more than just mom. And I'm like that something more, and it's different to mom. This has happened naturally throughout the ages. It's not happening as quickly, swiftly, and easily today as it used to. And there are many boys who are stuck, in a sense, in the feminine identity, and they're stuck under mom's apron strings in somewhere other. But they might even connect in and realize, I'm like dad, but dad's heart isn't present that little boy to connect with, and therefore he can begin to step into a masculine identity. Again, that's why agape love is always important. There should be a sense in which we are being brought to the um, understanding and the reality that God's love is there and present for us all the time. Electra, Electra complex, very, very simply put, is when a young girl in somewhere that doesn't connect to mum, mum's not present or she's disappeared, or mum's heart is not there to connect with her. We know that for some mums, they go through terrible postnatal depression and there's an inability to connect with that little girl. I mention this to you because there's some people are walking around so wounded in the early stages of their lives that they feel however hard they try and get to Jesus, Jesus isn't hearing them and it's not working and I'm trying my hardest and I'm not getting there. If that's you, then I invite you to surrender in a whole different way. Well, a whole different, a surrender is surrender. To surrender your struggle to the cross of Christ before the blessed sacrament, to allow him to shine his light into that area of your life. 
So at my birth, I was already coming out the womb, really, feeling like I'm wrong, men can't be trusted, the world isn't safe. I was premature and abandoned. I felt rejected and unwanted pain, which was another layer around my heart. Because I was incubated, there was a sense of disconnection. I wasn't getting that lovely touch and gaze and the beautiful words sung or celebrated over me from an early age. I wasn't getting it. I had to take this to the cross of Christ. Being fostered, I thought maybe I got a home and it didn't last very long. So the ability to feel like this permanence and trust wasn't there. Mine was being obliterated. And I told you the story about Kindy having been adopted. So I felt another layer of shame and even more confusion about my sexual identity. Can you see how the little heart of our children can slowly, if not careful, be sown with all sorts of rubbish? The zero to 100% at the top, there's a degree to which we receive of love from God and from each other. If we are impoverished, if we are poor in receiving of that love, then literally there's almost a chasm that aches within us to receive of love. And we will, if we're not careful, we can either go to God with that, although most children have got no idea what to do with it, or we will try and find it in the world. And in friendships and things around us and whatever we do. And I've even watched small little children who have not deep, when they're not deeply connected to mum and dad, I'm thinking, mum and dad just aren't interested. They're just not interested. They've had the kid and they've got to raise it. But they're not interested. And you're watching this kid looking, looking, looking everywhere to try and find its connection. It puts in a very vulnerable situation. That's so why we look to the cross with any vulnerability. Quickly going to this stage. Remember, agape is always there. Should be sharper, brighter, richer. God, God, God. God forgives you. God loves you. God's here for you. It's okay. The world's a good place. 5 to 11 is where our filial love kicks in. If you've had a really healthy first couple of stages of life, and you feel full of, uh, you know, you, you've tasted of agape, or you've got the storge love, by the age of five, you're busting to get into to pre-primary and year one at school. I want to make some friends. Home's enough. Blah, you know. Get out there and make friends at school. This is a, a key stage of hanging out with siblings and peers. If you deeply struggle with your siblings and you feel like you'd never get on with them, I wonder what might have happened around this early stage of your life. Did something hurt you? You hurt in some way there. How did you get on with your peers at school? Do you feel you sort of, you know, you sort of, you made lots of friends, it was quite easy. Or you made a group of friends that were good enough. Yeah, there are a few others you didn't get on with, that's no problem. Or did you feel that you were isolated? I'm asking these questions because I'm wanting to have the spirit will stir within you. Because these are the things, particularly this evening, and in our ongoing prayer and our relationship with Jesus, we begin to dialogue with him. We speak to him and say, Lord, do you want to speak back to me? What do you want to say about this? Because I know this, in your surrender, he longs to restore and redeem you. Today's the baptism of the, of the Lord. Have that at Mass. The Jordan, where, where Jesus was baptized, um, I think I was told it's the deepest area of inland water in the world, isn't it? I think so, isn't it? Yeah, it's the deepest inland water. And literally, we have the high, the king of heaven, who plummets himself down into the depths of creation. And the spirit descends there so that the whole of creation can be redeemed and restored. When we are willing to be plummeted and plunged into the depths, wait for the spirit to come. Because he does and he will. 
This is a time where our imagination grows. So we begin to look around the world and go, oh, oh, that's exciting. Oh, little worm. Oh, spider. Oh, redback spider. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Whatever it might be, you know. Snake. <laughs> you know, um, all these things. The visible world becomes important. Mom continues to give us a sense of being. This is also a time we start wanting to discover the world around us. I had the great honor of, of working for a, a very holy man called Cardinal Basil Hume for the last two years of his life. And I will never forget a conversation we had in, in the office one day. And um, he said, you know, the world needs three things to be healthy. It needs mothers, teachers, and spiritual directors. I remember saying to him, well, why, why those three in particular? He said, well, mothers give a sense of being. And if we don't know how to be, we miss God. Because God's name is I am. And I've got to be able to say, I am too. I'm like God. I am. He said the thing with teachers, he said, is that teachers basically teach about the visible world and all that's around. They help us to make sense of the world around us. He said spiritual directors teach about the invisible world, that which we cannot see, and therefore they call us towards eternity. And yes, ladies, you've got it. He said only a woman can be all three. Gentlemen, round of applause for the ladies, please. Seriously, you have a calling and a role to play. Men can be teachers and spiritual directors, but you as ladies, you, 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 you have a kind of one notch above in somewhere. I mean, we're equal before the Lord said. I just want you to know that. That's really important. This is a time about connecting and fusing. It's a time of learning discipline and boundaries. For many of us, we want God to do things our way. Only when you're willing to be disciplined can the Lord start being really serious about your life. Please listen to his word. Please go with what his word says. This is a time of discovering self as an individual. It's a time of same-sex peer connection. God loves it when little girls know to love little girls and really have awesome friendships. He loves it when little boys know to love little boys and they have awesome friendships. He also really loves it when big girls and ladies have really great friendships with big girls and ladies, when you really know how to love each other as friends, when you can bear your hearts and souls to one another, when you can walk alongside each other without having to wear masks, and you're basically complementary with an eye. You know how to complement and to build each other up. And gentlemen, the same is true for us. God longs that we have good, holy friendships where we haven't got to wear a mask with each other's brothers, we can really say it as it is. Because then, like iron sharpens iron, two men basically know each other so well, they're rubbing off each other's sharp corners. Sorry, Luke, you were just in the way. Could have been Simon. He's got bigger shoulders. Um, <laughs> these friendships are really important. We live in a world that turns around and says, ditch, ditch, your, ditch your mates, run after the girl, guys. Run after her. Ah, oh, forget your friends. He's the one. He's going to answer everything. It's just, it's not, that isn't God's design. There are many husbands who take many of their problems to their wives. And I'm not saying they shouldn't in some way share them with them, but there's some problems that men should share with their mates. And there's some problems, ladies, that you should be taking to each other and walking alongside each other in them rather than thinking that some man is going to solve those things for you. He's not. He's not. And again, because these are poisonous 
toxic messages that we're receiving constantly from our society, we have to be willing to take the way we relate and the boundaries that we've laid around our lives. We've got to be willing to place us before the cross and say, Lord, you can rip the whole lot up if you want to. Let's start again. Are you willing to do that? So some of the things that were happening to me at those ages, I told you about this already. I went to the girls' school. <clears throat> I began to misidentify my true sex. I was exposed to pornography, perverted vision, secretive. Don't talk about the sexy stuff. That's why I think it's great when we have a place, a safe place, a light place, a place of light to talk about the sexy stuff because we've got to talk about it. I felt I was dirty and different, alone. I might have been aroused. I felt like an object of pleasure where I was created to be a subject of God's kingdom. Some of you may think, well, I'm just an object. That's a lie. That lie's got to be plummeted into the Jordan in somewhere or other so that the truth of you through baptism can rise up. I felt there was no care for me and yet agape was always there for me in some other. And I felt wholly abandoned when my best friend Tim, who I'd shared my deepest shame with about my abuse, he was put into a different year, actually a different part of the school at 11. I stayed down, he went up, and I felt wholly abandoned. And that's when I said yes to Jesus and didn't find him. But look, all these red things, literally, these red lines here, all these messages is what's being tied around my heart. I'm trying to show you how each of us begins to pick up a messaging from the world and we wrap it around our hearts and we spend our lives walking around with it and we wonder why life can feel a bit heavy and difficult sometimes. Do they feel like that? Yeah. Stick with me. 18, 12 to 18. You can't, I used to say you can't stop puberty happening. They have something called a puberty blocker now. I don't want to go there. It makes me very angry. But at the age of 12 to 18, you know, you know, guys are going, <laughs> you know, and girls are there, maybe favorite cut off shorts or something. They're like, I can't get these up. My hips have just gone boom, <laughs> you know, and whatever it might be. The testosterone, the estrogen, the progesterone, whatever it is, they're kicking in at this age. Notice it doesn't say zero to 100%. What happens is suddenly... As we begin to hit puberty, some of those love needs that we may not have had from our childhood, and particularly from our infanthood, they start crying out within us, deep within us. And the world says, mm, you need to connect. The message of the world, Satan, the evil one who's prowling around looking for someone to devour, is right. We do need to connect. Simon put it beautifully yesterday at the beginning, that literally we are we are, we are living thirsts. We are going, where's the living water? Uh, I need it. That's why Jesus said, come to me. He's the one that satisfies. Eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, and then you'll have life with you, he says. This is a time when boys begin to separate a little bit from girls or shouldn't go, well, yeah, girls are a bit, you know, but she's really nice. And girls go, boys, boys, boys. He's really cute. <laughs> it's horrible being called cute, guys. But anyway, I don't know if that's the way it is. Anyway, I can think of worse words. <laughs> but this is a time when we begin to realize that actually we, are, we know that we're called into the circle of life. 
Now, some people get really struck. This is a really frightening time for them. If, if this was a frightening time for you, what was happening before puberty that got you frightened around commitment and relationships? And I'm very aware that many people are frightened of, of, of commitment. And when I say relationships, I don't mean having a partner. I mean being committed to somebody else's heart in relationship. It's a time where the invisible world should be revealed to us. We begin to reason. We begin to realize that actually there are two ways we can live life. I can choose life or I can choose death. And in every decision I make, it will either draw me towards being, to facing my ruined glory and putting me on that path to see the restoration of glory, or it will put me on the path towards just glorying in my ruin. Every decision, every friendship you make, everything you do is part of that decision. We should be learning to reason at this stage in our lives, clear boundaries. Dad at this stage is critical. Dad is supposed to steer us. He's supposed to steer us into our identity. Our identity ultimately comes for much of, much of the time from the way our earthly father sees us. It's certainly a concrete aspect of it. Of course, our ultimate, our, our true eternal identity is from God our Father. But our dad is supposed to steer us in that. So if dad's not around, we've got a problem. He may not be around because he's too busy working or sleeping or because he's, you're divorced or something has happened. It's dad, gentlemen, who's the one that should have been keeping an eye on us and realizing that if we're being turned or we're being tempted by pornography, he recognizes that we run off to our room for a little bit longer than normal or we're out a bit later or whatever it might well be. He's the one that sits down and talks to us about the dignity and the beauty and the sacredness of woman. He's the one that if we're driving down the street in the car with him and our eyes are going, he says, Oi, son, get your eyes off her. She's a subject of the kingdom. She's not an object of your pleasure and your fantasy. And he should be making the example about our mother. If your father never had that conversation with you, gentlemen, then you may, or a conversation similar, I invite you to bring your relationship with your earthly father before the cross itself. There's things you need to learn still. We all need to learn still. Ladies, the same is true for you. In somewhere or other, it may be that your dad never taught you about the dignity of modesty and how you dress and how you present yourself. You know, that he lovingly, lovingly corrected you. I know it's a hard word, corrected, but said, sweetheart, that looks lovely, but you need another six inches to hit your knee. A bit more material on the skirt. Put it in some fertilizer, let's hope it grows or something, I don't know. <laughs> but you're getting my point, aren't you, I think? In other words, there is dignity, the stages of, of our dignity that we may well have lost at this stage in life. And I invite you to bring this before the cross of Christ, particularly later on in the service that we're going to have. This is a time of, of real knowing our identity and our validation. We either run to our friends or to relationships with the opposite sex. Or we run to magazines or sport, whatever it is, to try and find our identity and our validation. That can ultimately only be found in God himself. Again, it's fine-tuning of discipline and boundaries. A teaching self-survival, most teenagers, you can't tell them what to do from scratch. You can just begin to finely tune them a little bit. But it is important to learn respect for other, especially for the opposite sex. 
14, I became the porn addict. My craving needs were eroticized. Another layer around my heart. I called the lesbian and gay switchboard. They gave me some good advice. I think them saying, you know, it's, you're okay, it'll all be fine. It stopped me, um, stopped me from committing suicide at that age, I'll be honest with you. Um, but they also lied to me. They said, it's all going to be fine. It'll all be lovely. It was not lovely, let me assure you. I said yes to Jesus again. I felt my prayers went somewhere that weren't answered. By 16, I was alcohol dependent and raped by three different men at 16, 17, and 18. Therefore, the confusion, in a sense, I got the confusion from early in life, but this was wrapped around my heart again. I came out as gay, therefore that became my identity. And I ended up in London as a gay rights activist, very left-wing, as camp, wearing makeup, Christian, questioning whether or not I might just be transgender. We didn't have that word in those days. You know, so you didn't get an option. <laughs> Stuck with the body I've got in some way. But, but it was still questioning that. And it was painful. So, to be healthy is to be able to enter into love at the age of 18 in this way. Years ago, not that many years ago, maybe even 60, 80, 100 years ago, people would get married at 18. And they'd be happily married at 18. And they sustain a marriage from the age of 18 onwards. They were fine. Today we have people who are 40, 42 saying, I'm still frightened to death of commitment. Because what's happened is there's been so many layers of lies and woundedness and brokenness. And, and there's been no place to come and surrender and say, where am I going to put all this? That's what we were singing about earlier on. That's why we were singing what we were singing earlier on. is to remind our souls there is a place we can bring any of the rubbish that we're carrying around that is not of God that he wishes to restore and which he wishes to redeem. So at the age of 18, I took basically all of this with me into adulthood. There's no wonder I was loud and angry and pained and confused. So I'll ask you this question a little bit today around our identity. How is your life tower? How's your life tower? Did you know you were wanted? Did you learn a good sense of trust between 0 and 18 months? Do you have a real sense of autonomy? I, I love mum and dad, but I can really let go of mum and dad. Just let go. Love you, but, you know, those of you who are under 18, I don't advise you walk out the house and say, I'm letting you go now, okay? Oh, they got trouble then. Did you learn a sense of initiative? Are you good at starting things? I mean, you're not going to be the starter, but you're okay. You're willing to get on with them. Do you have a sense of industry? You enjoy engaging with the world around you. Looking at the creativity, adventurous stuff. You may not be a leader, but you're willing to take your part. Do you have a sense of sureness or affirmity about your identity? For those of you aged between 18 and 40, is intimacy a frightening thing for you, or is it something that gives you incredible joy? And particularly for those of you who are not married and will never marry, those of you who are single, you know, also, it's a ability to be able to be free in your vocation as a celibate really free to be intimate you know I'm not frightened of people knowing who I am and of seeing who I am as well the last two stages are if we're healthy from about the age of 40 upwards we should be pretty generative we're, we're really sort of um, very very fruitful in our lives and then we feel once we hit a place about 60 plus we feel a sense of relief and certainty about our life and what's been achieved. If not, our lives can be like this, squiggly, squiggly, squiggly. Unwanted, unsure, mistrust, shame, doubt, guilt, inferiority, confusion. Isolation, self, 
self-absorption, and that's almost invisible despair. Jesus wants to take all of this from you. He's already paid the price. He's already signed the documents. You've been adopted, as I've been adopted, first into a family, then into, into the eternal family. You've already been adopted. It's all yours. It says in Isaiah 54, the mountains may depart, the hills disappear, but my kindness will not leave you. It doesn't say my kindness will be there if you join the school of mission. I was really sorry. Finishes at five o'clock on Wednesday. It'll never leave you. Never leave you. The Lord, when, I, when the Lord was in the midst of some deep, deep healing work with me, I was living in a community similar to the Immaculata Lay community. And the Lord literally plucked me from there and put me in Rome. As I said to you, I didn't want to go. I just didn't want to go. I, was, I cried my eyes out when I got there. I'm like, I don't speak the language. And my British summer wardrobe is not an Italian summer wardrobe. It is, just doesn't work. <laughs> so hot. Lots and lots of crazy stories around there. But you know what? It was the very place God wanted to put me to show me that his kindness wouldn't leave me. And I honestly don't believe I would have gone through my 18 months of tears holding on to him in the way I did and where I did if I hadn't learned to just go with his kindness where it was. He said he'd never leave me. My afflicted people, storm tossed and troubled, I will rebuild you on a foundation of sapphires. sapphires. I'll make the walls of your houses from precious jewels, the towers of, your towers from sparkling agate, and your gates and walls of shining gems. Basically, we have walls and towers and gates that we each have to deal with. Many of those red words were around my heart. There's all those lies that were wrapped around my heart. The walls are built around our emotions and our feelings. Scared to let things rise. But until we do, we'll remain with the wall. And that means God's love can't come through. We hide our pain and we shield from further hurt. Somebody used the example of the GP or the doctor. Can't think, was it you yesterday? It might have been you yesterday. That's right. It's all very well going in and saying, you know, hi, hiding the abscess, whatever it is on the arm, and saying, no, look, I look pretty fine, doc, don't I? Jesus says, let me look. Don't hide from me. Let me have a look. He will not, because he cannot, shame you. My biggest fear, and I started talking about the pervy stuff, the perverted stuff that I'd engaged in over the years, is that I was going to get condemned and shamed further. The opposite happened to me. I found freedom and I found a place of wholeness. Gates. There's gates where there's been past neglect and abuse. They can cause us to gate off segments to stop us from feeling the pain. So we go to the gate and we go, click, it's locked now. But we have the choice to unlock that gate. There's only one person that we have to let in to begin with. That's Christ himself. Don't worry, his mother will come with him. If you can't let him in because you're so frightened of men, let her in. She will trust you to, to she, will tr- she will help you to trust him. The other thing is towers. I mentioned those eight developmental areas of life, each building on the others. They can leave our lives feeling very, very wobbly. But God wants to restore our identity. He wants to make sure that we're able to stand firmly in what it is to be men and to be women. I want to talk about the role of forgiveness. The Lord called me to find five people in my life. I left Rome and I went to London. And the Lord said to me, 
I want you to go and find and face the two men that sexually abused you. And I want you to go and find your birth parents. And I want you to go and find your ex-boyfriend, Steve. And I want you to face every one of them. Hear me in this. The Lord was asking me to do this. I wasn't making that decision. In fact, I was very scared of all the whole lot, really. I felt I'd left much of that behind. It wasn't important. But the Lord was stirring in me. It's why your daily prayer, coming back before the Blessed Sacrament, calling upon Mary to walk the journey with you so she can keep nudging you towards her son, left, right, and center, is what's happened is there was a whisper within my soul that was there in my prayer, realizing I had to go and find these five people. I also had a really good spiritual director, so I could take the stuff I sent to a spiritual director. He said, I, I've been feeling the same about you too. It's time for you to go and face some of the past. Because a couple of people, it nearly always happens after talks to me, says to me, don't tell me you're going to ask me to go and face the person who abused me and ask me to forgive them. And I say, no, I'm not. But Jesus maybe. I'm not. But I want you to know, if Jesus is asking you to do that, then I'm asking that you would do that. But let me tell you what happened to me, first of all, is the work of forgiveness had already taken place within my own heart. And I'd learned this about forgiveness. First of all, there are almost three or four layers to forgiveness Bear with me. The first is this is, of course, we ask for forgiveness to somebody. There's even times, guys, we have to ask forgiveness of ourselves. So the James who's now met Jesus and walking with Jesus and has left the gay community and everything else behind, etc., and he's now beginning to walk his journey into manhood, the rest of it, I had to better turn around and say, um, James, I forgive. I forgive the younger James that really messed it up. I forgive myself. I let myself off the hook. This is my having asked God to forgive me, but in some other cases, having asked other people to forgive me as well. But I'd say this, many people, if you struggle, you keep going back to the confessional with the same sin. In many, not all, but in many cases, it's because you haven't learned to forgive yourself. And it keeps rustling up and it keeps rising up. The thing keeps rising up because the Lord is almost saying to you, please forgive yourself. But you think, oh, I can't have dealt with this, so I'll go and repent of it again. But then you start entering into despair. I keep repenting. It's still there. It's hovering around within me. Because the Lord is saying, I've let go. Mother Church has forgiven you. Humanity has forgiven you. You haven't forgiven yourself. I went back and I faced both my abusers. And it was more about my freedom than it was about, about them. Was it about them? Of course it was about them as well. Because God wants all of us to be free. One very quick story around facing the teacher. I went to see the teacher, who of course was 25, 30 years older than me. So he's in his um, about early 60s, and I'm in my probably late 20s, I guess, at this stage. And um, I went to see him, and uh, I called him the night before and said, I want to pop up and see you. I was actually living in Rome at the time. So I'd flown over to England, and he was in the north of England, so I went from London all the way up to the north to see him. And uh, he said, oh, I'm at home tomorrow. Yes, come and see me took me about eight months to find his phone number through different sources. But I pursued it because the Lord told me to. Found his number, went to see him. It was the only day in about 15 years that his work had been on strike. The only day. Somebody ran into the car just as I got to the roundabout before his house. Typical, I knew that was the enemy trying to have a go at me. Let's just park that to the side. But I walked in, we had this sort of smiley conversation. Hello, hello, nice to see you again, nice to see you, etc. And then I challenged him and said, he said, weren't they wonderful days at school? I said, they were hell. 
Oh, no, they were great, he said. I said, no, they were hell. He said, why do you say that? I said, you were abusing me. He said, no, I wasn't. I thought, what if he wasn't? Because all, all this stuff had come up in my 20s. I'd forgotten about being abused and stuff like this. And it came out, oh, what if he had? I said, no, you abused me. I, I was pretty certain of this, of course. I said, yes, you abused me. He said, no, I didn't. And I said, I looked him in the eye. I said, yes, you did. And his head went down. He said, I hope you'd never remember. I said, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to forgive you. I said, I'm here to forgive you because God has been merciful to my life. He's been compassionate to my life. The word compassion means with suffering. Passion is to suffer. Com, con, is, for many languages, particularly um, Spanish and French, it means with. I'll suffer with you. I said, the Lord has suffered with me. I've come to suffer with you that you too would know the forgiveness of God. And he received my forgiveness. Did that mean he was let off the hook? No, it didn't. I said, now I know there was other boys that you abused and you need to face this. He's like, oh, well, ooh, it might be a bit difficult. I said, I'll go with you. They need help and hope. Oh, no, we don't want to, don't want to affect their lives. We don't want to disturb their lives. I said, their lives are already a mess. Let's go and do this together. He didn't want to. All I can say is this, a number of years later, when I was working for another cardinal called Murphy O'Connor, is um, a lot of child abuse rubbish hit the Catholic Church, as it's done in this country. Hey, guess whose desk it landed on? Mine, for the most part. And the Lord said to me, it's okay, we'll walk through this. And you'll speak the cross about this. Anyway, the, um, the whole, my own case ended up going to the courts. The guy was found guilty, and the judge wanted to sentence him to jail. And I wrote to the judge and said, do not send this man to jail. Show him compassion. Give him the help he needs. Keep him away from kids, by all means, but don't send him to jail. Can you hear the mercy of, of, there's a journey of mercy and there's a journey of compassion that gets extended to us and we in turn are to extend it to others. It doesn't mean we lessen their wrong behavior. Wrong behavior is wrong behavior, full stop. Are you with me? I went to meet my parents, my blood parents. Because Mary had become woman and mother and in some sense wife to me, I knew the Lord was saying to me, because I'd let go of my mother and my mother's, I'd already forgiven my birth mother for abandoning me. I'd already made the decision that I loved her with the love of the heart of Mary and with Christ. To this day, my mothers have the most dynamic and wonderful loving relationship with each other. The people say, how can this be? I'm like, you get the eternal mother involved, everything changes. I'm serious. If you or a partner or some of you know struggles with their mother, you've got to get Mary onto the case. She comes in there. She begins to become a healing presence there. I went to find my birth father. I discovered I was half Syrian. <laughs> some people are laughing. I know my nose is big, but it's not that big. Anyway. <laughs> I discovered I was half Syrian. And... Um, Look, I spent 12 years trying to find my father. 12 years from the moment the Lord said, go and find your father. I got a name, Ahmed. I know. <laughs> you laugh, I was crying. Anyway, <laughs> I got this one name, Ahmed. And the Lord said, go and find your father. <laughs> and... Uh, 
It's a long story, and friends of mine at the BBC said, um, if you thought the film line was good, Parker, you should write your story, mate. Anyway, um, there came a point in those 12 years where one day, literally, in my prayer, I cannot stress the daily prayer enough. In the quiet of my daily prayer, and all these doors had seemed to close on me that I would ever, ever get to Syria and find my father, and yet there's this desire whirring around in my soul. And I had a sense one day, the Lord was saying to me, get up and go. We heard that with Joseph, get up and go. We know it from Abraham, get up and go. And I'm saying this to you because, you know, this word was not for people hundreds of years ago. It was. This is your word today. This is where you will find your identity. This is where you will find the direction of your life. And what Mother Church does, I wasn't here for Father Michael talking the other day, but let me tell you, the magisterium, will just be a beautiful layer of confirmation upon all of that. And the tradition of the church and the sacraments will enable you to remain strong and faithful and diligent and stable to be able to walk that journey. This is someone who is told to be very wary of the Catholics over there, okay? Yes to the Holy Father. Yes to the Eternal Mother. Yes to Mother Church. Yes. Yes. Woo! Go for it, girl. So I got up and I went. I booked a flight for three weeks later. Tried to find out British Airways. Expensive. Didn't fly the days I wanted. Thought, hmm. A mate of mine said, try Syrian air. <laughs> In other words, think outside the box. Thank you, Lord. It was two-thirds of the price. It was the perfect days. So I flew over. Although, a week before I left, two weeks after I booked my ticket, an Egyptian friend of mine, a Pentecostal, don't tell my mother. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, he, he calls me, he says, oh, my family, my family, they, have, they, have, they are going away and I was wanting to go visit them and now they're going away and I've taken holiday and I have nowhere to go. What are you doing next week? I said, I'm going to Syria. Oh, can I come? I said, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for my Arabic translator. So we fly to Damascus. Land in Damascus. I know that my father, I've, I've got very little information, but I know he's in Aleppo. I think some of you have heard of Aleppo. A few bombs and things have dropped there recently. So we pay about 50 cents and have a six-hour bus journey through sand and more sand and more sand to go to Aleppo. And we arrive in Aleppo, a city of just over two million people. It's a long story, but all I can say is this is, within the first 24 hours we became guests of the Greek Catholic Archbishop and stayed in his palace and got daily mass. And there's an eight-foot statue of Mary there. I'm saying, hello, Mother. I knew you'd be here somewhere. <laughs> Within just over 48 hours, I'd found Ahmed. I found him. And I was able to make peace with my father. And he kept saying to me, why? How did you, how did you come? How did you know? How did you? I said, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. It was the Spirit of Jesus Christ that brought me here. Every question he asked me was the Spirit of Jesus Christ. How do you know this man? I said, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Everything. As I surrendered and as I abandoned, as I stepped out in faith, spelt R-I-S-K, hear that. God, want, we talked about our souls, or, or things were widening and moving and the rest of it, weren't they, earlier on in the song that we just sang. God is asking us to step out of our comfort zone towards your canonization. Mmm, you're serious.
serious. Oh, you're so excited by this. <laughs> How does God restore us then? Look, this is my story that I shared to begin with with you. This is my story, what I, we call the old man. This is how I was formed and shaped, okay? State was in charge of me. They got me a good family. So my identity was underwear and kindy, the pink frilly knicker job. Sexual abuse, the pornography, lesbian gay switchboard, coming out as gay, gay. So by the age of 18, I was formed in the ways of the world. That was the prayer that changed everything. Come Holy Spirit who will teach you all things. Then the reversal began to happen. Then God began to write history, his story. His story. Not my story, get it? Yeah, history was written within me. The real story of what he wanted things to be. And where I've been active, etc., he said, you've got to die to all of that, James. You've got to die to everything. You've got to literally have, I had a big bonfire of clothes and pornography and posters and everything. And I walked away from all the people I knew and the scene that I knew. And I made the Eucharistic, spirit-filled, Marian, Ignatian, everything, you name it. Any expression, as long as it was giving me Jesus, I made that my home. I come out as gay. The Lord was then saying to me, all right, let's take the next layer off. You've got to die to what the world's identity is. Nobody is their sexuality. You are Imago Dei. You are my image and likeness, James. And you will see yourself upon that. He wasn't asking me to deny at that stage in time that I was still totally and utterly same-sex attracted, and I was. And my mates knew it. But my sexual attraction was not my identity. Christ was my identity. Before, where I'd actually learnt to listen to a word that somebody had spoken down a telephone to me, you are gay, it's fine, embrace it. I let go of that word, and I began to take up through prayer God's word. What does God's word say about who I am? I'm going to reject the rest of it. Where my body had been mismolded, perhaps the easiest, easiest way to put it, where my understanding of 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 my maleness and everything else was mismolded. The Lord taught me three things. He said, um, I needed his attention. I needed his affection. I needed his affirmation. And much of that came to the people around me, the community around me. It wasn't just from sitting there quietly in prayer, hoping that I might just fix my eyes on God in my imagination. But it came to the way that others looked at me and saw me and their words of affirmation and their goodness towards me. I read, I got deeply into spiritual reading. If you've got stuff in your room at home, your bedroom or your home, if it's your home, that doesn't really lead you towards God, I want to say this to you. Why have you got it? Why have you got it? Get rid of it. Well, I'm in prayer about it, but um, I know what the Lord's mind is on that. I'm saying, you know, make him the center of all things. And I told you about facing five people. Then I had to go back and demystify. I had to demystify what men were. I had to step into the world of men. And as I learned to trust men and forgive the men who'd broken my life so much, of then to become my brothers, what happened is men were no longer a mystery to me. And therefore my same-sex attraction went to the point where I thought, oh, chastity is easy. Because the Lord took me through a time of feeling almost asexual. And then what happened to me is I began to see curves. 
and their long hair. And man, they smell good. <laughs> Guys, you know what I mean? <laughs> Began to become attracted towards women. It's the one thing that nobody told me it was going to happen. I wasn't even looking for it. I didn't expect it to happen. But God was writing his design, restoring, redeeming his design within me. And, and look, you know, the... God loves each one of you wherever you're at. I know a lot more people who are other sex attracted or heterosexual or straight, whatever phrase you want to use. I don't like any of those phrases really. But people who have an attraction towards the opposite sex who are much, much more screwed up than anybody who's same-sex attracted. Because it's not about how much or what or etc. It's about your willingness to lay your life before the Lord. That's why every one of us is accepted for who we are. And as I say, this is my story. It may never be your story. It's okay, because your story is your story. Actually, I want your story to become his story. His story as well, you know? And then, of course, at the end of the day, the big thing was this, is the Lord was saying, as he says to each one of us, I want to parent you. I am the one that wants to affirm you in your identity. I'm the one that wants to be able to look at you and teach you modesty. I don't know what to look at you gentlemen and say, wow, you've got exactly what it takes to be my boy. You're my boy. You're my man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, bring me boys. No, no. <laughs> the vow. This vow was a turning point for me. And the reason I'm sharing in detail from my life is I want you to understand how God did it and he's doing it in me. Because I share this, I realize there's a little pocket probably of bits of my story thinking, that's where I need to go, Lord. That's what I need to do, Lord. Show me how to repent, Lord. Show me how to come. Show me how to surrender to you and to throw myself there before you. The, the vow is a turning point for me. The vow is this, is the Lord showed me that my mother was so pained while I was in her womb that literally I cut myself off from the true masculine. I come out of the womb saying, I ain't going to trust men. Now we're talking a kilo of weight here. But I have a soul. And my soul is literally frightened of men. Which is why I ended up connecting deep with my twin sister. Where I chose the Catholic school of the Anglican school. Because I just wanted to be my twin sister. Why primary school was so difficult for me with the boys. I just wanted to be with the girls. Because I literally made the vow in the womb. I don't want to trust men ever. And he brought me to the place where I, I literally, in the quiet of my prayer one day, I was with a priest, and um, we were praying together, and I repented of the vow I'd made in the womb never to trust men, because that, in a sense, is what had been saturated in my, the spiritual realms within me in the womb. And then the most amazing thing happened is there was a sense in which, in the spirit, it was almost as though because I was frightened to leave the womb, that the Lord took me back to a place where I felt as though, again, in the spirit, because remember, there's two creation stories. The first one is we're created spiritually. The second one, we're created physically. So the Lord was taking me back, even though I'd been created physically, he was taking me back to the spiritual creation of me. And Jesus was calling me forth from the womb. And I remember it literally hearing him. And, and I don't know how to explain this apart from in my mind's eye, I'm in my mother and I'm being called to leave the womb. But I hear his voice, and his voice is sweet, sweet ass. 
And so what happens is I make that journey, and it's a challenging journey, but I leave the womb. And then as I leave it, my fear is, but I have no mother. And Jesus literally takes me, and he hands me to Joseph. And Joseph can only take us to one place, to Mary. And literally, I'm there, and I'm, I, I'm, he places me, he gives me to Mary, and I suckle up to her breast, and then my twin sister follows. And she suckles up the other breast. Call the white van, will you, somebody? Because this guy's talking. <laughs> Literally, see what happens. And then in the spirit, this is what's happening to me. And this is all in the time, perhaps 30, 45 minutes, of God coming to meet me to restore and redeem me. Anyway, after we, this had happened and a time of suckling, etc., I'm just present, just feeling I'd suckled at Mary's breast. I sort of began to open my eyes. And the priest friend praying with me said, um, you're tired, aren't you? I said, I'm really tired. He said, why don't you just have a bit of a lie down? It's about three o'clock in the afternoon at this stage. So I just went towards the couch, and I sort of sat there on the couch. And I just fell asleep. When I woke up, I'm sort of curled up on a, as a ball on, on the sofa, on the couch area. And I sort of go, oh, why, why have you closed the curtains? He said, well, it's dark outside. I said, dark? Well, what time is it? I've been there for seven hours. Seven hours, he said, you curled up, you purred like a baby. Literally, and as I stood up, something critical had changed within me. I felt the earth beneath my feet like I'd never felt the earth beneath my feet. And I literally felt as though the Lord had restored me from within the womb itself. That's why sometimes I can be a little bit bullish because I love this life. Because I know there is no thing that is hidden from God in your life. There is no hidden thing from him. You might hide it from yourself. It's not hidden from him. Power of the word, I've mentioned this already to you. Let's just look at it very quickly again. The word demolishes arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God, against who God has designed us to be. That's why we take everything that we think about ourselves captive. We take it prisoner. And we make it listen to God. Obedience means ob audire, to listen. To listen and to act. Romans 12.2 Do not be conformed to this present world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may test and approve what is the will of God. Your will, your divine will be done. That's what I want in my life, God's divine will to be done, that we'd know what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is among you, he means that we, the way we relate with each other, has a profound effect on how we carry ourselves, on that sense of dignity, of serenity. About It actually molds our identity. When the blessing of God is upon us himself, that changes everything. That's what I'm saying. The word is incredibly powerful. I mean, this is just some things that changed in my own life. Divine wisdom. We're coming to, to land. What is identity? I believe that we are in the image of God in Margot Day. That we've been given his eternal nature. That literally, our, our identities, our interior, is being transformed by him. And of course, the final T-wise 
always the gratitude. Thank you. Our identity is only molded on God himself, not on anything of the world, not on your studies, not on anything, but on Christ alone. The challenge we have, therefore, is this. Our dignity is our glory. Our depravity is the ruin that Satan is trying to do to our lives. If we go with the depravity, a layer of shame is placed around us. And around the layer of shame, because if we feel there's something wrong with us, then we either hate others because we feel less than them, or we learn to hate ourselves because we don't feel as good as others. And we can oscillate between the two if we're not careful. You know, Mary didn't think about what other people thought about her. She just said, fiat domine. Well, she did in Hebrew, not in... She said, let it be done to me according to your word. There was no hatred. There couldn't be. She was immaculately conceived. What happens, though, is if we start moving between contempt and hatred, performance becomes our lives. Simon and Madeline talked yesterday about the masks that we have to take off. Sometimes we have to face the painfulness and the difficulties of our own lives to be able to come back to our own dignity. Again, I'm talking about how we get layered and we begin to move away and lose a sense of who God is. Um, just because of time, I think I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at that. Apart from the fact I want to say this is, you know, different people struggle with different things. Some people don't struggle with much at all. And that's great. But the most important thing our world is yearning for is people who will show compassion and will show mercy towards those who are struggling with addictions. For some people, they find it really hard to be charitable, which calls those of us who understand charity to be even more charitable towards them. We have rising issues, issues around mental health. Never before have we needed to show more compassion towards people and struggles with things of the mind. This is where we come to about praying for each other, forgiving each other, loving each other, walking with each other, but calling each other above all back to the imago Dei, coming back to the fact that actually, literally in Christ's eyes, our canonization has already taken place. The invitation that you're given in your small share groups now and also tonight, is to be able to take a hold of the next step, the next chunk, the next section of that canonization, if you like. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains but a single grain with no life. Look at the wonder that cotton has given you, the wonder the food has given you. But we know from someone like Maximilian Colby, whose whole life was dedicated to the Immaculata. Look at the fruit that came from his death. I will give my life for that family, but for every family, that they would know the love of Mary and in turn be one with Christ. Let us pray. Father, you are our forever daddy. And in Mary, you... You provide us with a forever mummy in the spiritual realms. It's just beyond our imagining. It really is. And you call us eternally to be your son or your daughter. 
that we should know perfect peace, completeness of joy, and life even beyond abundance. Send us your spirit, we pray, Father. Send us your Holy Spirit to teach us all things, to loosen us in the areas where we may be stubborn, where we're hiding, where the walls and the gates and the towers are preventing us from knowing you. Draw us to that place of total surrender. That truly, your kingdom would come. Your will would be done in and through us, here on earth, as it is in heaven. Mother Mary, keep on praying for us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was James Parker with The Impact of Love in Growth and Personal Development. This presentation was part of the 2018 Immaculata Mission School held in Hobart, Tasmania, on the theme being a disciple of Jesus. For more talks, interviews and shows, visit creadio.org today.